I have long believed that being adopted didn't give me a better life, but rather a different life. But when I say this to people, I'm usually met with conjecture, someone's opinion based on an incomplete set of facts. For example, people often say, if you weren't adopted, you probably wouldn't have had so many great opportunities in life, like getting a good education, having the opportunity to travel, and you surely wouldn't have met Brian. This may be true, but it's missing the point. Had I not been adopted, I simply wouldn't have known any other life to compare it to. I recently posted a comment about this on Instagram, and shortly thereafter, I received a response from Alex, a transracially adopted teen who I hadn't heard from in years. Alex said, I don't agree with you. I think adoption actually did give me a better life. Naturally, I was curious to learn more. I'm Angela Tucker, and welcome to The Adoptee Next Door, where I interview adoptees about living the adopted life. For a bit of backstory, I met Alex in 2016 in Washington, D.C., during the filming of the first episode of the Adopted Life web series. At that time, Alex was a curious and insightful 12-year-old who passionately discussed their perspectives as a transracial adoptee. Alex had incredibly wise thoughts about code switching and racism. It was so powerful that I actually have incorporated it into my adoption trainings and workshops and keynotes. So fast forward to 2019, when the producers of the Red Table Talk asked me to provide some of my past work for them to use on their show, I immediately thought about the clip of Alex and I talking about code switching. So I reached out to Alex's mom to get permission to use that clip on the show and was surprised when she responded by saying, no. She said, Alex no longer identifies with who they were in that clip. And she asked that I no longer highlight it in my work. Today, Alex is a 17-year-old transgender woman, a model, and a singer with a growing following on TikTok. She goes by her stage name, ALXJ. And indeed, she does believe that adoption has given her a better life. What I know is that the journey I had and how I was raised would be a lot different than where I am now and what I've gone through now. And I don't know where I would be because even being raised in such an open and loving environment, that fear and the oppression and all the harsh realities, they still hit you really hard. I don't know what I would have done if some of the people contributing to that were my own family. It is always interesting reconnecting with people after a few years have passed and seeing how they've changed and grown. At 17, Alex is still the wise beyond her years individual with incredible insights about racism and adoption. Now as a transgender woman, she also discusses the intersections of LGBTQ culture, specifically within the black community, the over-sexualization of transgender women, and she reveals some silver linings of transitioning during a unique and stressful time where the whole world is quarantined due to the coronavirus. A little over a year and a half ago, 
I finally came out as a trans woman, which has been an insane year. You know, everything's obviously given from how I looked the last time you saw me <laughs> versus how I'm looking now. Like a lot has flipped, but even just like mentally and emotionally, you know, like being a trans woman, it's it's crazy because it's so freeing, but there's a lot of confusion, but also like over feeling overwhelmed that comes with it. But honestly, my code switching has evolved and simply because now not only am I, you know, Black, but I'm also trans. So in my day-to-day life, I'll catch myself or my friends will catch me heavily changing how I'm presenting and how I'm acting or speaking when confronted with communities or even with strangers like when I'm with my friends it'll be like I'm chilling we're here but then when I'm at the drive-thru or something hi oh my god I'm it's it's insane thinking about it now it hadn't even hit me that I've been code switching but now it's been like multiplied multiple layers been who I am now yeah like it's not just because of one topic or category of me it's because of any so yeah, you have so many multiple layers right now as a transracial adoptee, as a transgender woman. Um, and I'm sure there's others. One thing that was concerning to me was, I think it was last year, I reached out to you and asked if I could use the clip that you're in for a show that I was going on, Red Table Talk. And yes. you said no. <laughs> And I was curious to learn about that. Um, so how I look at it, at least how I look at it like now, was at that point in time, I was still freshly on estrogen. I was still, you know, adapting to, you know, living life as a woman. Like I still am. It, <laughs> obviously, I'm 17. I'm not going to know everything about myself and everything. but. I was still very insecure in my transition and, you know, who I was at that point. And seeing childhood footage of me has just always been kind of weird because there's just a sort of disconnect. Like, I see it and I look at it and I'm like, that's not me. But it was, you know, like, that's literally me and physically was me, but I see that and it just can't resonate with me that that's the same person. And I don't even to this day fully understand why, but back then it was like, so how I saw it was, oh, people seeing that clip of me and associating that with me, that was something that kind of like, I wasn't the most comfortable with because I was also still so early in my transition that I wasn't as sure of myself as a woman and confident and strong. So it was like, back then, I was just kind of like, oh, I don't want to be associated with that. But now I've been, fortunately, I've had a great transition so far. Um, I reached a urine hormones in December. Everything's incredible. And like, had I been asked now, I would have leaned more towards yes, because I can confide in myself enough to be like, that's where I come from, but that's not who I am today. 
And I'm at a place where people would be able to see that footage back then and see me today and be like, oh, okay, so she's changed, like, yeah. and not connect it as much. You sure. Know? I totally understand that. I'm just trying to reconcile you who self-describe as an open book. And I see <laughs> you out there on TikTok, on Instagram, everywhere, and you are so open. And so does that, where does that leave people who do put their themselves out there as youth or parents who share their stories when the kids are young do you regret doing it knowing that it'll be out there forever that's just how the internet works I don't see myself as the type of person or feel like the type of person to ever regret anything like because one you can't change the past. You can run from it or learn from it. I could run from the past and regret it, or I could learn from it. Because if I did something and it didn't benefit me, it taught me something. So in order to grow and improve yourself, you have to learn from things in the past. So I don't consider myself the type to regret anything. So in terms of my content that I put out online, I don't really regret any of it because it's all played such a huge part in my journey you know had I never been that you know what society saw as a little gay boy trying to figure out makeup and looking a mess like I would never stand like where I am today I wouldn't be here because that was a stepping stone so I don't regret it like I'm like oh that looks a mess you know, like I wouldn't go out like that today, but I can't be like, yeah. I regret doing that because yeah. I learned to stand as myself, you know? Yeah. And oftentimes when you, I've had, I think two waves on TikTok because the thing about TikTok is you'll blow up and then it steadies out and then it slowly goes down until you blow up again. And it's like that. I've done that like twice. And each time that I've blown up, it's been about me being trans. And that's what gets the clicks from everyone because it's like, oh, everyone wants to seem inclusive Every or it's like shock value or it's like, you know, like, whoa, or like they're actually genuinely supportive. And at first I was like, oh, this is great. I can get, you know, you know, start my career by sharing my story and stuff. But then I realized that doing that was leading to me being put in a box. Yeah. And I, I hated it. And I don't use the word hate that often because it's strong and all that. But me, I have a lot of facets to me. And as a career, I want to be a, become a legendary entertainer and with my dance, my makeup, and now music and everything. But on TikTok, all people started to want from me was just trans content. Sure. And yeah. it puts you in a box, and I'm just like, I'm so much more than You're more that. than that, right? And I you can know? imagine, I can imagine for any oppressed minority role that there is a lot of fascination with you because of that identity versus yeah. because of who you are. I love this quote that I often discuss with friends of mine who are of minority status in some way. And it's from Lupita Nyong'o, who oh, is, I love her. yeah, she is giving this speech about 
colorism, essentially, uh, at a Black Excellence Awards show. And she says within her show, or within the speech, um, you know, she talks about how she would eat sugar cubes before she went to bed at night in the hopes that she would wake up the next morning lighter skinned because we know that lighter, brighter black bodies are seen as happier, richer, more successful. And she woke up every morning and was still the same color. She says, so at a certain point, I began to enjoy the seduction of inadequacy. Just the most powerful statement. And essentially she was saying, I began to enjoy the fact that I was exoticized and fetishized for being so dark in the sense that that was inadequate, but at least it was something. And that really broke my heart because what she really wants, what we all want is to be, I, what I want for you is to become a legendary entertainer because you are so gifted at dance and makeup and all these things, but not because you are a transgender woman. Oh, wow. That's deep. Okay. Let me try not to cry my lashes off, but as a trans woman alone, before you add race and everything into it, because as a black trans woman, you are on the minority scale, pretty much seen as the bottom of the barrel. You're down there. And I, I do have light skin privilege and colorism is a huge issue and racism is a huge issue, especially even in the LGBT community, like the white gay experience versus the black gay experience, the white trans experience versus the black trans experience. You know, there's a lot of roots there. So I'm bottom of the barrel. I can feel the bottom of the barrel, but unfortunately, because my skin is lighter than some of my other T-girl friends who are darker skin, I am seen as above them, which is, you know, trash. And in terms of the oppression I face, um, so as a trans woman, immediately you're sexualized. Before, most of the time, before anyone cares about pronouns, before anyone cares about you know, your clothes before anyone cares about this then the third, your journey. They care about how your body looks and what you have going on between your legs. And as a 16-year-old, back then when I came out, that, that shit hit you. Sorry if I'm not allowed to curse, but... You can speak how you want. <laughs> You're free. That sh- it 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 hits you in a way that no one else will be able to understand. And that has led to many different situations in my life. Because women alone are sexualized. And then young girls alone are sexualized. And then young Black girls alone are sexualized. So young Black trans girls are right at the end of that line yeah the pinnacle of it yeah and for me it it gets to a state of literally no matter what I do in my life society is going to want to know about my genitalia what procedures I've had done this that and the third 
or it's automatically, oh, she only looks like that because she had this many surgeries. And I haven't had any surgeries. I don't really plan on it, but it's not your business, but also it's led to other women in my life telling me like, oh, don't like, oh, you're sexualizing yourself by dressing this way, you know, or you're dressing too grown or you're yada, yada, yada. And for me, what it was, was essentially, it is the way that the only way that I can feel as if I'm taking back my power because Jesus, because like I can wear a hoodie and baggy sweatpants and especially men, cis men are still only going to care about my body and what it looks like. So I would rather be sexualized and comfortable with how I look and dress how I want to take back that power than try to conform to a society that will never accept me even if I do. And it's, it's not easy because it's like, no matter what you do, you can't win. But being able to just express yourself freely in itself is at least something. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And Plenty of strong women in my life. Yeah. So glad to hear that. Let's, <laughs> let's add on the layer of adoption. This is let's do it. the Adoptee Next Door podcast. And as you talk about all of kind of the, the hardships within all the isms that are at play with being trans women, um, the sexualization, the racism. I don't know what it's like to be a trans woman within the black community, but I assume that there are, there's a lot of isms even within the black community. So you've got a lot going on. But one thing I know is that you have a very supportive home life that your adoptive parents have supported you at a young age when you were, I think, four years old, I think you said, when you were wanting some wigs. and. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I, I always say to my friends and everything and to anyone or whenever it comes up, I could not in any way, shape, or form, I could never have asked for better parents in every aspect because I was raised to be me. I was like, obviously I was born in a boy's body. So I was seen as a boy by society and everything, but I was never raised to be scared of femininity. I was never raised to be afraid of exploring in that. I was never raised to play with army guys instead of Brad's dolls. You know, I was always just raised to be me. And I never had a box or a label with my parents. You know, if when I was like four, you know, really young and I wanted Barbies and wigs, I got Barbies and wigs. It was never a big, huge thing. It was just like, that's our child. Yeah. So, so that's one of the things that I think uh, you spoke up about. On my Instagram, I wrote being adopted doesn't give you, doesn't give me, I think I was talking about myself, but being adopted doesn't, didn't give me a better life. It just gave mm -hmm. me a different life. And I know from your experience, you see it differently. Yeah. I think, um, so when I heard about that, I was, we were going somewhere. I forget where we were going. We were on like a, I was on like a long drive with my mom somewhere. 
And she brought it up. And for me, my first response was just simply, I feel like it varies. Because for me, my birth mom was incredibly religious and very traditional. So from what I know and am aware of, and also, you know, that is also a, you know, Black family and most of the time Black religious traditional families, someone like me doesn't exist in that. I'm not in that image. Right. Or maybe all. you do exist, but haven't been able to become themselves. Exactly. Huh. Like, it's like, I'm in there, but no one knows. Or they do, and they ignore it and suppress it. So in my case, of course, I'll never know what life I would have had had my birth mother not given me up for adoption. But from what I know is that the journey I had and how I was raised would be a lot different than where I am now and what I've gone through now. And I don't know where I would be because even being raised in such an open and loving environment, that fear and the oppression and all the harsh realities, they still hit you really hard. Yeah, it's still there, right. I don't know what I would have done if some of the people contributing to that were my own family and those who are supposed to raise and love me. And that breaks my heart, but I don't know where I would be. I don't know if I'd be standing here before you. I don't know if I would present how I present. Maybe I would have never even came out as anything. Maybe I would not even be living. And that's really crazy to even say. And I know a lot of trans women, but specifically Black trans women who I am close with who don't have supported families or they'll talk about how rough of a journey it was to even get their parents to use the right pronouns. Versus for me, it was just always, we're going to start learning immediately and do our best. So I count my blessings every day for the life I have been given, especially because that decision of adoption, had it never happened, could have turned my life completely south. Interesting. So for me, it varies. It depends. Some people were just given a different life. Other people, they'll never know, but maybe they dodged an abusive parent that they didn't even know would be abusive. And to me, I would consider that a better life. And for me, a life where I can be open as myself and just be me is a better life. But some people, it's not like that. So I sort of see it as varying, if that makes sense. Alex is correct in the sense that life could go so many different directions. However, this is true for all of us. Some folks could have, and many did have, abusive and neglectful parents. And some of these same hardships exist within adoptive families too. It can be easy to play the game where we weigh material gains against a potential life of poverty when discussing what could have been. However, unless you were adopted at an older age and lived with your biological parents for a period of time, long enough to definitively understand the circumstances around why the adoption needed to happen, you're probably just guessing. Hardships abound for families of all different stripes. 
I mean, I was adopted at a week old, so I have two birth sisters and they came after me. They're both younger than me because when I, when I was, you know, conceived, it was because my birth mom was sexually assaulted and that resulted in a pregnancy. She was not in a place to be raising and having a child. So I was given to adoption. Um, and I've always like wanted to meet my birth sisters. I don't want to meet my birth father ever. I don't care if I know who he is because anyone who would do something like that to a woman does not deserve any respect. Um, but there's not that much communication with me and my birth mom and I'm personally okay with it just because there is no significant point in my life that I can sort of like remember her from yeah like my parents will tell me she babysat me and stuff I don't have any memory of it um and you know my what's birth interesting? Sister, something hmm. interesting I don't know if you remember this but when you went on my show four years ago you brought a photo of her in a frame <sighs> Oh my God. Yeah. Where did that go? I don't even know where that photo went. We've moved houses since then too. Like we, I genuinely don't know. I don't think we still have that photo. Like my mom gave me that photo and I had it, but it was never, it was just like, oh yeah, that's my birth mom. Like it was always something chill to me. Like yeah. I know some people view adoption as a trauma and some people can have, you know, issues sort of resonating with it and everything. Me, adoption has just always been, that's something that happened in my life, you know, part of my journey, but it's not, I don't see it as a big deal, at least not for my life. So I actually completely forgot about that photo until you said something, but no, I remember that. Um, so a, a couple things. One, I want to go back to hearing more about your biological sisters, but I'm also curious about your identity as a transracial adoptee. It sounds like, you know, in your, your words, you're saying adoption's just kind of something that happened. And as you explained, it's something that you're grateful for because you got parents who just have allowed you to be yourself. Since that all seems to be pretty well ironed out, I don't hear you identifying as a transracial, transgender woman. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like your primary identities are transgender black women. So with me, adoption has just always been something where it's like a fact about me. Like, it's something I'll talk about. It's, it's not that big of a deal to me simply because obviously the first thing people notice and know is black trans women. So other people my whole life have sort of treated it like that like oh those come first and I'm like oh you're adopted that's cool like even for folks for me, who see your parents with you and see that you have two white parents then they have questions then they'll hit a little question I'm like oh yeah I'm adopted you know um I've always been an open book about it like because through my whole life people have been like huh and I'm like adoption like there was a point in my life where everyone was like oh wait did one of your parents have an affair I was like no, I'm adopted. <laughs> like, is that really what's the first thing to come to your mind? <laughs> like, um, for me, it's like, I guess it, it maybe even to this day still hasn't hit me just because to me, it's so, oh, it's common. And then you add on to me when I was, 
you know, identifying as a gay male or, you know, someone who is non-binary or, you know, um, now a black trans woman, like, I've always also been under the impression, oh, I'm going to have to adopt. So it's like, it's always been something to me like, oh, that's just the path of life. It hasn't fully hit me like, oh, there's this huge difference like that people see when you're not blood related to your parents because they're blood related to their parents. But to me, I don't really go by the slogan of blood is thicker than water because as a black woman in a white family and then also as a trans woman in a family that has a lot of non-LGBT people and then the like only LGBT person was kind of like cast away um, like completely like there's a lot of people who are my family who I can't really see as family. My parents and my sister are not included in that at all. <laughs> in any way, shape or form, they are my family, I love them. And for me, maybe it's because I'm adopted, but I've always been able to find family in people who aren't even legally my family. Like I have people who other people would call friends, but to me, it's like, oh, you're my sister. You're genuinely my brother. Like I genuinely have that same type of connection with you. And it seems to be very common with a lot of LGBT people, but let alone LGBT adoptees, because oftentimes they're forced to find family because their own people who are supposed to be their family cast them away or rejected them. So it's like, for me, being adopted and, you know, like not being related to family is just something that's common to me. So it was never to me just like a huge thing. And it's something I'm always so open to talking about because like, yeah, but I've had so many stages of life that it's like, was that something fully pivotal to me? Cause that to me ties in with me being trans. Cause when I talk about me being trans, then it, you know, flows into, oh, and I was raised like this and oh, had I not been adopted. So to me, it sort of somehow correlates with that category and it all just comes together to just make me as alexandra you know like when i'm an advocate i advocate for like all of that like adoption race gender identity but for me it's also like i'm yelling about that when i need to and but that's not all of who i am yeah you know because like oftentimes people put you in that box and this is like not off topic, but a lot of times people will well one put you in a box, but two, if you take a step back when life is kind of hectic as a black woman, someone who's trans, like when every when all the riots and everything with Black Lives Matter was happening, I am in support of court, like I'm in support of all of that. I'm for the movement completely. I took a step back for a second because it was so overwhelming to me. And it was just like, wow, this is the life that I really have to live. What because do you mean by overwhelming? That I, what part was overwhelming? Just George Floyd's life being taken away, you know, without reason, Breonna Taylor, sure, everybody. And then, you know, just how the our own government was against us and send, sending out, you know, like the National Guard and everything to yeah. people who are literally just trying to say, treat these humans like humans. Right, right. 
and give them justice for the injustice. Like, and it was just like, wow, I live a life where I could really be that next name. Yeah. So that was, and that's insane. Definitely. And it was like, it was overwhelming to a point. I wasn't sleeping. I was up until the sun was coming up. I'd go into my parents' room and just like cry in my mom's arms because I'm an empath. So stuff like that, the weight of the world at that time and the energy just really hit me. And it's like, I took a step back and then I'd have people on TikTok commenting and saying stuff like, why haven't you spoken up? You're supposed to be an advocate, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, I have to live this. I would have loved to have gone to a protest. You know, my parents were going to protest and with the signs and everything, I would have loved to do that. But I was so anxious and especially on estrogen. Estrogen, it's very common to cause anxiety and depression. And mental health is something that's very important to me and I heavily prioritize with prioritize with myself. So wow. I knew if I went to a protest and even saw just like cops, just like there and ready, I would shut down. Wow. And I just, I wasn't ready. What a incredible year to be transitioning 2020 has been <laughs> terrible and here you are adding this on top i mean i know your transition started maybe two years ago my uh, transition started april like april so one year ago uh, april um, 2019 yeah april 2019 and that was like you know the start oh i'm presenting a lot more feminine this and the third i didn't start estrogen though until december 27th so i didn't really start transitioning until like 2020 like physically you know was it maybe a positive to be like locked down in covid during a time of such transition and <laughs> our country in turmoil <laughs> yeah especially because so George Floyd died like about three months in. And on estrogen, the three month mark is where everything gets flipped around, thrown, shaken in a can. That can is like thrown down a water slide into a tornado that enters the hurricane. So <laughs> <laughs> to have some kind of step back from school and all of that as I was going through that hurricane tornado shaking in a can down a water slide it was nice and i am i'm not an introvert because i like to be social and meet new people and go out but i also respect my space and my mental heavily so my room is like a sanctuary to me like it's like this is where i go when i need my time my peace i prioritize that heavily and i was like i'm one of the few people in my friend group who wasn't terribly affected by lockdown yeah. You know, especially yeah. because I had so many other things going on. It was like, I need to focus on graduating early because I graduated a year early from high school because I needed to get out because high school took a huge chunk of my mental health away and put me in a very dark place. And then you add transitioning onto that very dark place. And then you add everything with Black Lives Matter and everything into that. I, I was slipping and I was just like, then they said, okay, quarantine. I was like, my focus of this quarantine is myself, finding myself, becoming myself, 
healing myself and, you know, like restoring and saving and keeping myself up, you know? So to have that step back from school and everything and all of that and not have to deal with society for at least a second helped a lot. Wow. Yeah. Yes. I heard this sort of semblance from a lot of folks who are oppressed in different identities that, and I felt this as well, um, being a black woman working in predominantly white spaces that I love, I love my work and, uh, have great colleagues, but I didn't realize until going into lockdown and being in my home every single day, how many microaggressions I was constantly fending off and how that impacted me, even though doing that every single day pre-pandemic, I didn't come home thinking like, oh my gosh, that was a lot today. It just, it was part of the fabric of my everyday life, I think. So Mm -hmm. taking that away in the pandemic, I have found more energy for being creative and and health. So I can absolutely see, especially for a teenager, (laughs) how this could have been a little bit of a blessing in disguise. Very much, very much a blessing in disguise. Of course, that is not me saying, oh, I love that we're in a pandemic and, you know, all of that, you know, like my, you know, I'm sorry to the loss of everyone who's lost or who have been affected by this and everything. Um, Personally, for me, it's, it's, it was needed, you know, and it was a sort of blessing in disguise, especially because I'm a teenager too. This is like, I go through a lot for a teenager, you know, black, trans, teen, and then I'm an adoptee. And then on top of all of that, I'm also trying to pursue a career as an entertainer. And in the entertainment industry, you go through a lot. Like it was just stacks on stacks on stacks on stacks. So to have a little pause. Yes. And then you actually said that you realized how many microaggressions you were facing. And that resonated with me because going into a lockdown quarantine, I also was able to take a sort of step back and look in from that third perspective and realizing how common these microaggressions and racism and colorism and how common and prevalent it is. And that was one of the other things that just really um, struck me because I was just like, oh, wow. Because I live a life where I'm fortunately mostly accepted and all of that. So I live in that privilege and stuff like that it's like okay i feel safe i feel comfortable in my environment and all of that and then you take that step back and you realize oh wait i still experience this and it's still very much in my community and it sort of brings me back down into the reality as a black trans woman that three and five of us get killed and that i have a life expectancy of 35. Mm -mm. that's heartbreaking to have to sit with as back then a 16-year-old, now a 17-year-old going into the real world because I'm, I'm graduated from high school. I don't have plans for college because I'm going into the entertainment industry. So going into a world, and we all hear about how the music industry is quite effed up. Mm-hmm. And it's also controlled by white people who are going to try to manipulate you and form you. And put you it's in that box. fucking terrifying. Let's go back to your birth sisters who follow you right. on Instagram, TikTok, Yes, yes, Instagram. (laughs) Um, I have two birth sisters. 
Miss Naraya and Aaliyah. They are beautiful. They're gorgeous. Um, they both at some point were in dance. I don't know if Aaliyah still dances with each other, um, but me and Naraya, me and Naraya, she's still in dance. She's incredible. Oh my gosh. Like, she's an incredible technical dancer. Like, so it's wow. in the genes. It's in, it, it must be in the blood because okay. incredible. And her and I, we're cool. Like, you know, and it's like, it's not weird, but it's like different because it's like, you're my birth sister, but you're not my sister, but I still feel that connection to you. And what I also look a lot feel? like Naraya. What's the connection it's, that you feel? It's, it's just like, it's kind of like, so I'm a spiritual person. It's like a past life or just like a natural connection where it's like, oh, there's like a frequency between us where it's like deeper than what life is showing, you know, like it's just like a natural vibe. You don't have any shared experiences that you can remember, but you still feel a connection as though you did. Exactly. It's like, oh, I know, like I've been known you, even though I've never met you in person before and we don't talk that much. It's just like, it's, it's, it's telepathic in a way. Um, but so her and I follow each other. We'll like and comment on each other's posts. Um, she's incredible. And like, she'll hit me up. She'll be like, oh my God, how did you do this hairstyle? And I'll like tell her, you know, this is how I did it. So I'm re- I would love to meet Naraya. I would be 110% down to meet Naraya. I don't fully know where I stand with Aaliyah because her and I just like don't talk like that. And I don't at all really know where I stand with my birth mom, but I know that I think she knows that I'm trans and I think she is at a point where she's supportive-ish of it. But I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know because the only experience I've had so the only interactions I've had with my birth family is really years ago, before even the, I think, adoptee interview, like, that we did, like, four years ago. It was, like, around that time, but a while ago. Like, maybe, no, like a year or so before. I don't know. I think I was in seventh, sixth grade. I FaceTimed my birth mom, and she was with my birth sisters. Um and it was a cute little FaceTime. It lasted for like, I think like maybe two hours or something. But my birth sisters were also like really young at the time. Cause like if I was in like middle school, elementary school, they were like lower elementary school. Yeah. Um, so like, it was just like, it was cool. It was fun. And then there was that. That's like the only conversation I've ever had with my birth mom. And then the only other interaction I've had with my birth mom was one time I posted, I was about to go to dance and I posted, um, a photo on my story of me ready for dance. I had my hair done, I had my makeup done. I was in like, you know, like a sports bra. Actually, this is Zach's sports bra, but I was in a sports bra and I was all ready to go and I posted something on my story. Um, and she responded with the heart eye emoji. And that little moment to me was just like, one, I'm on the right path. Like, cause for someone who literally only knew me as a baby boy, you know? I was like, okay, I'm on the right path. But also, I was like, okay, wow, maybe she is supportive. And then I also, like, I responded and said, thank you so much. And, you know, she left it on open. She didn't follow me or anything. 
So to me, it's like, I literally do not know where I stand, but I know that she knows who I am. And in some way, shape or form is supportive of it. I know a few trans adoptees who uh, were afraid to let their birth parents know that they had transitioned, uh, that that was really weighing on their conscience. And it makes me think of just how all of us kind of, even non-adoptees, like we all want to please our parents. (laughs) And I kind of hear you saying that a little bit, like not knowing whether or not your birth mother would be supportive of or not is is a really big barrier. Yeah. What what would it mean to you if you knew that your birth mother was fully accepting? If your birth mother was listening um, to our podcast. <laughs> um well first I would say hi Tabitha, what's up? Um but <laughs> um if I knew she was fully accepting, I mean for me, how do I not sound harsh? But it would like subconsciously mean like a good amount. Like it'd be like, okay, that, you know, makes me like feel better. But for me, it's also like, fortunately, I'm not really a people pleaser, as at least not as much as I used to be. Like for me, it's always been... I got to do, I live my life for me at the end of the day. I'm the only person who lives my life. I don't live anyone else's. No one else lives mine. And I have to do what's best for me. And for me, it's like, if I knew she was supportive, I'd be like, okay, that's great. If I knew she wasn't supportive at all, I'd be like, okay, keep your distance. You know, like, because also there was never a significant really relationship there. So, right. I just never, there wouldn't be too much deeper meaning behind it because it wasn't really someone who I remember as significant in my life like that, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And at the same time, you so distinctly remember that emoji that she sent during that post. Absolutely. You know, like it yeah. definitely, I don't know, you, you don't remember all the thousands of messages you get all the time but you remembered hers and so that's where it's like adoption is unique because these these people who gave birth to us do hold a a space in our bodies even if we are like you fully realized within your adoptive family they still have this strange this little little tiny just little hold you know it's there because it's a part of your history it's a part of your journey you know yeah Adoption is something you sort of learn about someone versus being black or being trans is something that's visible. Sure. Like, especially earlier in my transition, obviously now if I walk around, like, you know, I'm pa- I pass. And a you lot of trans- as, as a woman. I pass as a woman, yeah. But like, earlier in my transition, you know, it would be clear to see like, that's not a cis woman. Um, and then also you can obviously see my skin color, um, you know, versus like the only time adoption would come up is if I'm with my parents. And it's like when I would talk about adoption, fortunately have never really faced anyone being sort of oppressive or negative about it. And 
I think that has a lot to do with my generation because my generation is obviously all about acceptance, you know, like this, down the third. If you say something, you know, racist, sexist, homophobic, or like against adoptees or something, you're going to get called out. And all of a sudden you can't go to college no more because they all know, like, my generation is very much about like literally treat humans as humans or like, please leave, you know? Um, so like in terms of being adopted, so I was like, oh, that's so cool. You're adopted. And I think it's also because a lot of my community with like, you know, LGBT people and especially black LGBT people, a lot of them want to leave their families because of what they've been through. So being someone who got a family that, you know, was very accepting and everything, they're like, oh, you're adopted. That's cool. And even sometimes they'll be like, I wish I could get adopted. Which is so fascinating hearing your perspective of that. For me, when I hear people say, I wish I was adopted, I dislike it so greatly. And so it's really awesome to have your perspective of that being like something you're like, I get it. I know what you're saying. I hope you're proud of this episode in the sense that uh, it'd be cur- I'm curious in 10 years when you listen oh back, just like we're listening back or looking back at your... <laughs> four years ago and how things have changed but um i just love your openness and you're just out thank in the world you. and yeah thank you like thank you too for also like because had i never had that first interview with you there's a lot i wouldn't have even realized about how far i've come and how far i'm gonna go you know like so thank you it's completely mutual and sent right back to you oh i love it I want to thank Alex for sharing her story with me today on this final episode of my first season. She reminds me that adoptees are more than just our adoption story. Adoption is something that happened to us and will stay with us for the rest of our lives, but Alex is a beautiful example of someone carrying a multiplex of identities and how having support from not just her family, but others who understand and accept her has allowed her to flourish. Wouldn't it be great if we all felt unconditionally accepted? If you like this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review, rate it, and share it with your friends and family. Once again, I'm Angela Tucker. You can follow me on Instagram at Angie Adoptee, Twitter, or Facebook at The Adopted Life. Or check out my website at AngelaTucker.com. This episode was edited by my husband, Brian Tucker. Music is courtesy of Marmoset and Artlist. Thanks for listening to the first season of The Adoptee Next Door.